Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me. I don't know why I keep saying it's me, because nobody else actually does the intros. So maybe one day I should just get Aaron to do Ooh. the intro and see if anybody actually notices. Oh, that's a bit in the room with me today, you right? Hi. Yeah, no, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. You were speaking there before I even got the chance to intro you. I know. Nobody introduced me, you know that. Sorry, mate. Sorry. But you let me do the intro. Maybe we'll next time. Maybe we'll next time. Aaron, thank you very much for joining on this latest podcast. You're very welcome. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I'm also excited to bring in your other co-founder and managing director, Kathy Akratopolo. Hello. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm all right. We are doing this in person. We are. In person. Tiny three rooms. Three yeah. rooms with a microphone. With a microphone. Three heads and a microphone. Three amigos. Three amigos. And we are going to talk today about, this is a fascinating topic for me, and it's something that Kathy and I spoke about a few weeks ago, because at LACE, we get asked and we talk to a lot of senior HR professionals, chief people officers, group HRDs from a multitude of different organisations and different sizes, industry sectors, and all of that sort of stuff. And one of the things that is interesting is how different the role of a CPO is naturally depending on size of business industry, the type of business are, the nature of work that they do. So Kathy and I had a previous conversation and said, have we ever done a podcast where we ask what is the role of a CPO and what does actually good look like? And that's why we're doing this podcast today. So I'm going to well, not really quiz you guys, because you guys are going to do most of the talking, but we wanted to just take some time to look at the role of a CPO. What does a good CPO look like? Because there might be people listening into this who are either new into role and are thinking, mm-hmm. this is my first position as a CPO. What's the benchmarking that I should be looking for? There'll be some people that are seasoned professionals and maybe listening to this and thinking, what else is out there? So this is a good time, I think, for a bit of a reflection pod. And I wanted to just get some ideas from you guys. So I'm going to kick off with Kathy, given that she came up with the idea first, Aaron. So you're just going to have to know a problem. No um, problem. And just look at things like maybe we start with specific traits that you've kind of seen in your time, Kathy, working with the variety of different CPOs that we work with. So any thoughts just to kick us off on the types of traits that we tend to see? Yeah, I think what I'd like to probably say initially, Chris, if that's okay, is just what we mean by chief people officer role. Because ultimately, in a large organisation, there'll be HR directors within business units, there'll be senior HR leaders who are heading up centres of expertise like talent, for example. But when we come to the CPO role or group HRD role, depending on what it's called, in effect, what we're talking about and what we'll focus on today is the role that is representing HR and people on the C-suite level. So along with the CFO, the CIO and the CEO, then effectively you're part of that C-suite and therefore it's broader than just the HR function in itself. It's actually the company's approach to how they manage their people, what they do for their people, and what proposition there is for their people, and how they use their people as to help drive business value. So that's the level of role that we're talking about today, as opposed to maybe someone who's embedded in a business unit or division or embedded in a CME. So I just want to make that sort of clarification to start with. Cool. So traits. Yeah. So a bit like guess who. 
they've got uh, ginger beard and they've got red glasses. And so what sort of kind of traits that we're looking so, at? So the first word I would use is commerciality. At the end of the day, the CPO has to absolutely understand how the business makes money, how it differentiates, how it drives success. And therefore, from a CPO perspective, that commercial understanding of what the business is aiming to achieve how it does that and what its goals are over time is an absolute critical characteristic of what makes a successful CPO. Being able to operate within that sort of triumvirate of the CFO, the CPO and the CEO as a trio on how you take the business forward is critical. So I would put commerciality as a first trait. Ah, striking early with battleships here. So I had commercial awareness as well. And I was reflecting that one of the CPOs I work with in a so in a FTSE 250 always talks about being a business leader first, CPO second. So very much that hat on. But my strike would then be cultural advocate would mm. be what I put in. So I think that voice around the table in that C-suite that is always reflecting on is this in line with our values. Are we role modeling the right leadership behaviors? Are we as an executive staying true to our promise? around what we've made to uh, promise we've made to our people. So that cultural advocate for me is a very key role in the CPO CHRO. Yeah, ultimately, someone has to have the employee voice right, around the table at all times and also hold the leadership team to account mm. around how they're operating. We know mm. leadership is a key driver of culture. So having an individual around the C-suite, the exec table that is always focused on culture, I think is a really important one. From my perspective, another trait would be innovator. So actually from a CPO perspective, bringing the outside in, really understanding what's happening in your competitor market, what's happening in individual organisations that you would hold up as being best in class for how they manage their people for whatever aspect that might be, having new ways of thinking and turning those into new ways of delivering the business value for the organisation you're in, I think is a critical trait for a CPO, not being sort of stuck in the ways of working that maybe you see as, as an organisation now, but thinking about if this is where we want to get to in three years time, let's say, depending on the business planning cycle, what do we need to do differently? How can we really shake things up? And I know we'll come on to what's happening in the market, and why that's changing for a CPO. But in a full employment market that we're in right now, the CPO has to drive that differentiation agenda when it comes to their people. And the way you do that is through innovating, really understanding what everyone else is doing, bringing the best of that and new ideas into what you need to do for your people within your organisation. Nice. You want to give another one? For me, trusted advice and guide I'm going to go with. I often think that the CPO role is quite a challenging, lonely place at times because, as you say, you're part of that leadership team. But as you were mentioning there, Kathy, you've also got to have this position of being challenger, holding people to account, coach. But also, in a lot of businesses, despite being part of that team, you're also accountable to the board, to the chairman and the chairperson of the board. So there's an element here of having to guide and be part of a team, but at the same time, keep a professional distance in that role, which can be quite challenging. And I think, again, just reflecting, you think about the sort of remit that a CPO now has, it could be corporate governance committee, board themselves, maybe dealing with the private equity or investor backers that they're involved in, Remco, and if they're in a regulated environment, some form of regulatory body. It's quite a significant number of boards that guide a business these days where the CPO has an active role involved in there. And so they have to be seen in that trusted advice a position to hold that true throughout all of those viewpoints. Do you know one of the things, I've just listened to two of those traits each that you've given, commerciality, cultural advocate, 
innovator and trusted advisor. The phrase that keeps coming round and round in my head is how important is it that this personality, if you're going to be sitting at board level, has a strong and powerful voice? Because all of these are related to being able to stand up, put your hand in the air and say, hang on, guys, I've got to say my piece here. So could you just give me some thoughts from that perspective as how integral that is in order to be able to exhibit Absolutely. these traits. Absolutely. I mean, to me, the, the bit that I think Aaron mentioned it when he was talking with his cultural advocacy piece, ultimately the individual is a leader and therefore leadership behaviours that are important for that organisation need to be coming through loud and clear from the CPO. And that's that's a leader both in terms of their own functional area, the HR function that they are leading, but also a leader in terms of being that representative of people, being a cultural advocate, being the go-to individual for people consideration. So absolutely, leadership capability is a key trait as well. This is where maybe the CPO role is different to maybe more of a traditional group HRD or an HRD position. And it is that broader remit as a leader of the overall business, as well as a functional leader of HR. How many CFOs would consider themselves just to be the person who runs the finance function. Mm-hmm. They'll actually consider themselves to be a key part of the decision-making group that's running the business. The CPO position is exactly the same. And yeah. therefore, that leadership capability is key. How many businesses then, and I think I remember this one, how many businesses, because I see lots and lots of individuals with the title of CPO. How many people who have that title, do you think, just roughly in the industry, actually exhibit that kind of behaviour or have that kind of strength? So you mean proportionally? Yeah, I mean, not like 72. Yeah, I'm not not looking for exact (laughs) figures, but it's more like most of the CPOs that we see do have that view, that idea that I'm not just a functional, I am sitting over it like a CFO does, or is it the other way around? Most of them don't have that. They might have the title, but they're still operating at that functional level. I don't think it's down to proportions of people who are doing that. To Cathy's point, this is an evolving role, right? And I think the concept of a CPO as a business leader isn't a new one, but it is certainly one that has come to the fore through COVID. I would like to think that post-COVID, we've seen an uptick in the number of people who have proven themselves to operate at that CPO level. They may well have been seen in their organisation as an HRD running a function and not as part of so much as part of that leadership. But that two-year window has given people a real opportunity to step up into that business leader role with a very clear remit. And certainly, I think we've seen that play out in the attention that the people agenda is now getting at the top table, which is one of the drivers of the CPO role and and their position on that board. You were talking about traits earlier, Chris, and I wrote down two things as we were talking about traits. One was, I think there's an element of fearlessness that comes in a CPO Mm -hmm. role, not least to Cathy's point, right? At some point, you are going to have to call out behaviours in your peers at a C-suite level that are not right, because everyone gets, crosses that line at some point, and that's a difficult environment to be. I think the other one is they've got to be seen as cleaner than clean, right? Integrity comes into this as well, because again, when you're facing up into those other boards and governance elements, you are the face of the people of the organization, the culture of the organization, and so you've got to hold that level. So I think those are, for me, two of the really sort of key traits and behaviors I see in that CPO role. Nice and simple question. Is the role of a CPO undervalued by the C-suite? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, like nice and simple question. So difficult you're, answer. You're coming at that from a sort of a relatively negative standpoint, right? I think to Aaron's point, most businesses have been through more people challenges in the last two, three years in an accelerated way and are still facing similar people challenges. 
than they maybe have done in the past. And therefore, whatever the situation was pre-COVID, I think every individual who is representing people or HR at the top level of an organisation, whether they're on the C-suite or not, has had the opportunity to really demonstrate value and really step up. Or step out of the shadows. Well, quite absolutely, to quote an HR on the offensive phrase, absolutely. <laughs> but a real opportunity to show why they're so important, to show why they're critical to business decision making, and to really grab the challenge with both hands and make a real difference for the business. So on that basis, I don't think that I get frustrated right, when we talk about HR needs to earn its seat at the table. Why is it we haven't got an equal position to a CFO? Come on, guys. If we haven't managed to achieve that in the last few years, what's happened? There has never been a more significant people challenge than COVID for the intensity of what that brought, the need to make quick decisions, to respond really well, to take the really strong value proposition perspective for the employee, what we want to do for our people and to shine as a result and really deliver value for your business. So I think from that point of view, I would rather turn the question around and talk about why that role is so critical now and why it will continue to be critical. You know, we know right now there's full employment. Yes, we're going into a recession potentially, but we are at full employment going into that recession. And that in itself places even more challenges in front of the CPO because every business is still competing for talent and that need to differentiate, to be compelling, to stand out from the crowd as an organisation has never been more important. And that isn't going to go away. So I think that challenge now of building on where we come from, from COVID in a full employment scenario like we have now means that CPO role is critical. So I personally feel that the C-suite, the broader C-suite has never valued it more. When the waters are choppy, you rely on your crew. Yeah. If you like that analogy, we can keep going. The CPO is the cox of that crew, right? I mean, they're there to help steer that element and you're going to rely on your talent more and more. And as Cathy said, it's hard to find that talent in this market. You talked about innovation right at the start, Cathy. I was reflecting that you've got Brexit, COVID, full employment, potential recession. Those are elements that need to keep you at the front foot if you want to drive productivity in your business. And there's lots of things that can come from that. There's lots of different innovations we're seeing. So a focus on experience design, for example, Mm -hmm. thinking about how you deliver service as a function to the business in a different way that engages people, how you differentiate on talent in the market and really sort of put your brand and live your brand. You've done a podcast on this specifically, right? How you get that forward. Future of work. What is the workplace going to look like for your organization hybrid working we haven't even touched on that topic right okay. and yeah. how that balances out there's a lot of different innovations that as a cpo it's a very exciting time i think throughout challenges we talk about the pressures and stuff but it's also a really exciting time Absolutely. to be a cpo right now in the market one of my favorite ones is workplace experience which i've seen start to flow into the cpo role whereas before it would have been facilities and they manage it and with hybrid working getting that workplace experience the physical workplace experience right now means that hr have to pay more attention to it they either have to get closer to facilities or in some cases bring that workplace experience design under the wing of hr there's lots of cool stuff going on in this space at the moment it's interesting you've sort of semi-answered so i'll, I'll move back to kathy now you semi-answered one of my questions i was going to ask next which was how far does that cpo remit stretch how far should it stretch like where does it start where does it finish 
And I think that's the point I'm making the distinction between a CPO operating at C-suite level yeah. compared to maybe an HRD in a business environment or an HRD who is focused on running the function. To me, the remit is broad. You're there for all the sort of roles that we described already, the responsibilities that sit within a CPO. And actually, you're there as part of a leadership team running a business. So yes, there's the functional ownership and the need to set the direction and look at HR systems, HR operators, HR capabilities, build talent in the HR function itself, all of the things that a good HRD will be doing to make sure their HR function is fit for purpose. But then there's a whole bunch of other stuff, which is to do with running a business. And they're part of that governance body that makes those decisions. And therefore, to me, the remit is broad, but looking at things through a people lens. So you're there as a decision maker with a people focus and making sure that as you're making decisions, the people implications, the people agenda, where you're going with your people from a competitive positioning perspective are all built into that decision making process and not overlooked. So from that perspective, any business decision, I would expect the CPO to have a prominent role in as opposed to limiting yourself to, well, it's not HR's job. Well, you have a job to run the HR function. You also have a job to contribute to that business goal and achieving those business goals over time. Actually, interesting. I can pick up on that point because I often think that if you are in that CPO role and doing what Kathy has described, actually, in a lot of ways, you're time available to run the function is very limited. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. How much up and out into those boards, into those decisions, leading the business from the front. Some CPOs we see in front of the press in terms of engagement with the PR of the business, right, mm-hmm. into the marketplace as far as that. So there's lots of different things that draw on a CPO time. And I think one of the things I've seen be very successful is where CPOs recognize that and have realized that they need someone to run the function. So rather than leave it up to a leadership team of many to try and fight it out amongst themselves, if you like, or come to consensus, is to appoint someone to run the function for them, like an HRCO and that's a role yeah. I've discussed before. But it is one of those things because when you're doing those all those things and you're doing them well with the right focus, actually running the day-to-day is a very limited time frame to do that. And I think it's also worth just dwelling on how does that differ for different types of businesses? So mm. for a smaller business, let's say it's got 1,000, 2,000 people, yeah. you know, the HR function is more modest in terms of the scale and maybe more operational, let's say, in terms of its focus. But actually for the person who is in that senior HR role, whatever their job title, if they are sitting there with the CFO, the CEO and the broader sort of business leadership team, they still have that critical role to play. And actually in a smaller business, particularly if it's going through rapid growth, that leadership team needs that input. They need that individual around the table who's going to constantly think about the people implications, constantly think about how you get things right from a people perspective and integrate that into the decision making. So it's baked in as opposed to an afterthought. So Even in smaller businesses, if they're going through major change, then actually that role is just as critical as in a large business. And I guess that's the challenge of getting that balance right between the functional leadership, the functional day-to-day activity versus being part of that leadership team and taking the business forward. And to Aaron's point, it may be that a good solution here is to recognise running a function day-to-day is quite a different skill set to actually being on the C-suite and operating at that level. Yeah, we talk about some of those themes in the original HR on the offensive, don't we? Yeah. The HRs need to be less operational, less transactional in the way in which it delivers its services. They're still ultimately accountable, though, right? right? So I think that this is the challenge. It's, yeah. Accountability doesn't mean you need to be doing everything. And I think that's the thing. The buck will still stop with the CPO if there's a challenge in HR. So they still need to be aware of it and managing it and understanding the risks and issues, but they don't necessarily need to be embedded in the way it's being run day to day. Yeah. Certainly. I wanted to touch on, so we've got this hypothetical C-suite board 
that are sitting around the table. I wanted to ask you guys and get your thoughts on what the CPO that's sitting in one corner, surrounded by the CFO and the CEO and the chief marketing officer, the operations officer and all of that. Are there any things that you think the CPOs could learn of the typical sort of traits that you expect from the other people around that table? And I guess vice versa. What can those guys or girls learn from the CPO? Aaron's put his hand up. Aaron, go first. Aaron, we're not on a team's call. Go for it. And, and, And this is just something I've talked about quite a few times with clients along the way. I think when it comes to analytics and insights, CPOs can beat themselves up for not getting every headcount right. And what I think they can realize from, to your point, and learning is CFOs are very comfortable in operating in gray space with assumptions and managing and directing business on the balance of risk, assumption-based, and inheriting some of that confidence around it doesn't have to be every single head, as long as actually proportionally is right, actually can take a lot of the pressure out of the organization. So that for me is one of the learnings that you can learn from other members of the C-suite. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I think you're part of a decision-making group and each person there has different perspectives. Each person has their own particular spike of knowledge and yeah. capability. I do think, for me, back to that commerciality point, the CPO needs to understand the finances as well as the CFO does or understand yeah. the positioning in the market as well as the chief marketing officer does. There is a need for that business understanding to come through loud and clear but similarly the other individuals need to understand the people agenda and the people challenges and really get it so it's not so much necessarily about having all of those capabilities within each person but being able to see things from different perspectives and so I think there's equally enough equally um, sufficient to learn from each other depending on their individual roles around the team, being clear on who's bringing what agenda to the table and understanding that the CPO is always going to be focused on the people agenda, as well as understanding the broader context of the business. The CFO will always come at things from a financial lens, as well as understanding the broader business. So, you know, they each have a role to play, but there's enough there to learn from each other so that you've got that breadth of understanding. Well, hopefully, I think, you know, as we're painting this picture, you you can imagine how much there is to learn as a CPO when you come into that role. Whether you're an experienced CPO or a new one coming into an organisation, there's so many dimensions we just talked about to get get your head around. I think that first 100 days to coin a phrase is really important to understand that plan and how you're going to navigate those things and where the priorities are, Mm -hmm. where the risks are now, what needs to be plugged, whether that's a union challenge, whether that's a board element or whether that's a leadership capability. There's lots of dimensions that can face you mm. when you're coming into those roles. And that mapping that out is, is really key. Which just comes back to that sort of being part of that leadership team. You need to be integral to the business planning cycle as well, rather than an afterthought. So it's that challenge of being there at the beginning, part of the business planning um, process that the organisation goes through, assuming, let's say, they're planning out with a three-year time horizon, being able to contribute to that inject to challenge. And a big part of where the CPO has a role to play there is integrating workforce planning, strategic workforce planning into that cycle, yeah. rather than seeing it as a process that flows out of the cycle. So ensuring that workforce considerations are a key part of the business planning cycle, as well as other considerations, is a key part for the CPO for me, mm. if you're operating at that level, to see that as an integrated process rather than a sequential process. Yeah. Can we really do that expansion? Do we have exactly. the skills to do it? Exactly. Can we find the talent? And has the, I feel like we've probably talked about this a couple of times on a few podcasts, so maybe we won't dwell on it too much, but pandemic impact has pushed that a few notches Mm -hmm. up on the priority scale, perhaps, and maybe you are going to get the other executives around the table saying, well, maybe this time around, post-pandemic, we're going to 
pay a little bit more attention. Oh, exactly. It's the push and pull balance, right? That I don't think the pull has ever been stronger mm-hmm. to get that input and that direction and that contribution from a CPO into the business decision making cycle. So I think that perception that you have to push that, I think to me, the pull has never been stronger. So we need to yeah. see that as a massive opportunity and to Aaron's point, really exciting. Yeah. Definitely. Right, we're going to give you a free swim in a minute, which is uh, any final thoughts for you guys to anything that perhaps we haven't discussed. But before we do that, a bit of looking glass, looking forward. Does the role of the CPO change much in the next two, three, five years, in your opinion? If yes, why? If no, why? Who wants to take that first? You're both looking politely well, and silently no, at each I, other. No, I'm happy to have a quick first stab if you want. So for me, I don't think it changes, but I think it evolves for people in those roles. We've talked about a very broad remit of things in this call, and not everyone is doing all of those all the time for their organizations. And they're probably on some form of evolution towards that. And how many of those they get engaged with, involved in will have to do with company heritage and history and their own experiences and so on. So I don't think there's too many additional things to add into that space. We've covered quite a few new areas like workplace experience, strategic workforce planning and planning second. So there's a lot in there, but I think it's more of that evolution that we'll see over the next few years of people building out that capability. So I agree with Aaron completely. Really? I know how unusual. Listener, I must tell you that (laughs) you are witnessing a historical, sorry, listening to a historical event. It's on record. I kid, I kid. Sorry, Karen. I do agree with Aaron completely. I guess I would turn the question on its head and ask the CPOs to ask their fellow C-suite team members what they see changing over the next few years but in terms of people agenda, but specifically their role as CPO and what they feel that individual needs to do to really drive business value going forward and if they're not having that conversation it's a great conversation to have it's not a sign of weakness in my view it's a sign of strength of being really clear as to what am i here to do how can i bring best value to this team and how can i bring best value to this business i personally think that's a really good debate to have Nice. Okay, free swim time. We're just coming towards the end of the podcast. Really fascinating stuff. I'm sure we will probably turn this into some form of written content as well. And we might do a little video or two on it in future as well. But just as we come towards the half an hour mark, is there anything you'd want our listeners, Aaron, just to leave our listeners with before we wrap up today in terms of the role of that CPO? The thing that I think about often these days around this question of what next for a CPO, and we see quite a lot go into board level, portfolio type roles, NEDs being that people voice, that people advocate on boards. But I also think, and we've seen some more of this, or as I've seen some more of this in recent years, I think that being part of a business leadership team in that role allows you to potentially enter into other C-suite roles. And I've seen CPOs step into COO roles in their time, on occasion up to CEO. We don't see probably enough of that right now, but I think if I was having a free swim, as you say, for the future, given how important being a people-focused CEO is right now, and you go to any MBA right now, they'll talk about the people-centric CEO, that means CPOs have a really good shot at taking that role. Weirdly, we're quite similar with our free swim sessions, right? Because my contribution was going to be actually when you think about what we've just described and you think about how you can do that job really, really well, there's a question to be asked around if you haven't been in a business facing role, either as an HRD, but preferably in my potential opinion around actually in a business role as opposed to an HR role at some point in your career, can you perform all of that that we've just described? If you've been someone who's been embedded in the HR function your whole career, are you set up for success as a CPO? Actually, should we be challenging ourselves about a typical career path here and thinking about having more 
business relevant experience as an individual who will then become a future CPA going forward. So leave that there as a question. Have a whole debate on that. It's the mm. thing, Chris. Maybe that but, could but be. But is, is there an opportunity here for people who are in those business leadership roles now with a passion for people to Aaron's point around CEO being people centric actually that might be a good career move for you going forward and similarly to make a CPO having that on your CV that depth of understanding may well stand you in good stead for future opportunities. No that's fantastic and thank you very much for taking a bit of time today just to talk to me about that so CPOs are the next CEOs is that oh, we, we can use that as a title if you'd like <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been great spending time Chris it's, it's been really really good you can obviously get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts we are on the Lace Partners website as well you can see our entire back catalogue or if you subscribe maybe you just subscribe because then you just get access to our latest editions every single Thursday on behalf of myself Aaron Kathy, thank you very much. Why you don't start the podcast? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you very much, Kathy. Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure. And thank you very much, Harrod. Thank you very much, Chris. And we will see you next time on the HR on the Effective Podcast. Bye bye.